The relationship between churches, pastors, missionaries, ministries, and money can be tricky. Ministries rely on the financial contributions of donors to sustain everything they're trying to do. All throughout the Bible, both in the Old and New Testament, the people of God are told to be generous and give to the work of God through the church. So churches and ministries need money to do good things like help people, take care of their buildings, and pay their staff. But sometimes things can get messy, especially when money gets involved. Many people worry that ministries, churches, and pastors are using the money for things they shouldn't. Almost on a daily basis, there are reports of some pastor or ministry somewhere accumulating wealth and property through donations from the faithful in an excessive, inappropriate, and decadent way. In some ways, it seems like some ministries and pastors are more about exploitation and greed than they are actually helping anybody but themselves. But does that mean that Christians aren't supposed to give to support the work of a church or ministry? And what about tithing? Are Christians supposed to tithe? Or is that just an Old Testament thing? Well, welcome everybody to the Beards and Bible podcast. My name is Josh, and I uh, hope you're having a fantastic night, day, or whenever you are listening to this. Uh, tonight, I am joined not by my regular co-host. He had to, unfortunately, bow out because he had a bit of a church pressing issue. They had their facility flooded, so I have a backup host tonight. Somebody you're familiar with if you listen to the podcast, uh, my good friend, Mike Lee. Mike, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Josh. Uh, honored to sub in for Gabe. I'm sorry he's unable to be here, but it's always a joy to be with you. Yeah, man. So we've had you on the podcast before, uh, but for those who may not have uh, listened that far back, is that, man, that was a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, a couple, yeah, probably at least two, uh, yeah. somewhere around there for sure. Man, we've been doing this podcast for four years, if you can believe it. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, so we're episode 97, so we're three episodes away from the century mark, which is insane. The big 100. Big 100. It's funny, I'm I'm three years away from that as well, so that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> no, you don't look a day over 120, you're fine. So Thank you, yeah, thank man. you. Me and Moses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, you want to introduce yourself for those who may not remember you from our uh, Calvinism episode several years ago? Yeah, I'm Mike Lee. I'm one of the pastors at the Experience Community Church, a network of churches that Josh and uh, the church that he pastors is a part of. And I'm also the director of our ministers and training program uh, for our network of churches, which is a kind of a residential training program since we pretty much only hire from within. Uh, most of our folks that we hire have never been to a Bible college or a seminary. So it gives us the opportunity to kind of deepen their understanding of the scriptures as well as uh, teach them some pastoral ministry. And then they get to do rotations in the different departments of our church, kind of learn the behind the scenes of the, the whys behind the what we do. And uh, after a year, we uh, send them out into their assignments, whether that be into one of our existing campuses or whether we send them off to help plan another church like we did with the wonderful people in Cannon County. So, yeah, yeah. that's a little bit about me. I don't know if you need to know more. Well, no, that's that's awesome. I'm, I'm such a big fan of the work <laughs> you do. And so you, you train essentially ministers. Uh, who have not been to seminary with a kind of uh, accelerated seminary light training, if I'm understanding. Is that correct? Yes, and emphasis on light. Uh, okay. You know, some of my probably professors to think that I'm doing this would probably uh, be in, in horror. Uh, <laughs> that oh dear God, <laughs> Mike Mike Lee is training people to to be in the ministry and training them in theology. Oh oh, <laughs> God help us all. You yeah. know, but God is merciful and gracious, and um, yeah. you know, uh, He, yeah, you know, it, it really is a privilege. And, and again, I've just been doing this a while, so I think just the combination of uh, ministry experience, along with, um, and I've served in a lot of different sized churches and yeah. different roles. Uh, you know, just kind of a 
a unique time in history for me as well as for our church. So um, that uh, I get to do it, you know, it really is the honor uh, of my life. And again, I really believe the culmination of all that God had been preparing me for. Yeah, man. So how many years of ministry do you have under your belt? And you, you did go to seminary, yeah. right? I did. Yeah. I went to uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and uh, that's actually where I graduated from in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, So this past January, so last month, I celebrated 39 years in ministry. So I started in January 1985. So God willing, uh, next January, I'll celebrate 40 years. Do you know the, the, the month and the year that I was born? Was it January 85? <laughs> I'm not going to say, but somewhere around there. Yes. So your, your yeah. ministry is as old as my life. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so <laughs> Dina and I last uh, May celebrated uh, 40 years of marriage. So, that's um, awesome, you know, that's, which is kind of, kind of crazy as well. So yeah, 40 yeah. is a pretty important number for me right now. Yeah, man. Well, what better person to be our resident Bible answer man than the oh, man with again, more help us all more degrees than our thermometer and more ministry years than I've been alive. So, man, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we have two big listener emails tonight. One of them we're going to spend okay. a lot of time on, but uh, one of them I thought we could just kind of answer because I thought it was a really relevant question. Uh, I'll read the email and then Mike, you and I can kind of just uh, maybe do our best to try to answer this question. Uh, email is from a listener by the name of uh, Danielle. So not Danielle, but Danielle. She said, hello, my name is Danielle. I listen regularly from Michigan. I'm wondering if you could offer some guidance on how to get started on learning translations and studying Greek and Hebrew <clears throat> to better understand the Bible. I've heard you mention a few times that Gabe has done a bit of study. Thank you. I really enjoy your podcast, so please keep it up, Danielle. So thank you, Danielle, for the email. Um I thought this was a really good question, Mike. Do you do you uh, do you have to have Greek or Hebrew to to study the Bible, or is it kind of just helpful if you do? Uh, absolutely not. You do not have to have Greek and Hebrew to study the Bible. Okay. Um, can it help? Sure. You know, again, to know the original languages that the, the Bible was written in is incredibly uh, fulfilling and helpful. Necessary? I don't think at all. Um, I think God has been incredibly kind to us to have amazing, uh, accurate translations of the Bible into our language, whatever language that may be for us, uh, English, for me, Southern. And, uh, so I, I, I am, you know, I, I know there are some who would uh, maybe push back a little bit, but I, Again, you know, for me, I, I take a little bit of my cue from uh, from Jesus himself that he took on flesh to be like us, to come to speak our language and to be, uh, you know, communicate in a way we could understand. And I think the beauty of God's great joy in giving us translators who can accurately take God's word and bring it into a language like us so we can pick up some of uh, the the great nuances of the original languages, but in a way that's understandable. I, I, for me, that's an incredible gift of God. Uh, it's really interesting, isn't it, too, that even the Hebrew Old Testament, even before Jesus was born, was translated into the Greek, uh, mm. you know, so that even uh, Jewish people who did not maybe no Hebrew or Aramaic and, and they already had help. In fact, a lot of the trends uh, or the um, in the, in the new Testament, when they call back to the old Testament and put a quote in there from the old Testament, it's from the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the old mm-hmm. Testament, not from the Hebrew. So <clears throat> I, I think we get some really good cues that while again, it can be helpful. It's it's not necessary for us to accurately understand God's word to pick up some of the nuances right. and to be able to profit from the work of those who are gifted in languages as they work to bring it into ours. Gotcha. Okay, so it's not necessary. I mean, you can you can understand the main and plain truths of Scripture from a good translation of the Bible, but if if you wanted to study the Greek, study the Hebrew. 
Which answer me this. So in, in seminary training, and if you get an MDiv, uh, my dad got an MDiv and he had to learn Greek. Why, why is it, and just curious, that most seminaries would require uh, their seminarians and future ministers to, to learn Greek or Hebrew? Is it just a, a way of kind of knowing how the original language is structured in order to exegete it more responsibly? Or what's the rationale there? Yeah. So again, I had both uh, Greek and Hebrew, um, uh, and I dabble a little bit in Greek, uh, Hebrew, uh, I can clear my throat. And so that sounds very good. Uh, and, there you go. Yeah. Uh, We've been teaching through first Samuel, so that's kind of helpful when you teach yes. first Samuel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. First that's exactly David. right. But, yeah. Um, so I, I, again, so, uh, you know, the master of divinity traditionally has been the foundational degree for those who go into the ministry. And again, traditionally, um, a lot of things have changed over the years, but when, and it's, it's an incredibly, uh, long degree, uh, for me, it was 92 hours. Mm, uh, wow. and usually most MDivs are around that three year mark around mm-hmm. that, uh, 88 to 92 degree, uh, hours for the degree. So, uh, they are working hard to prepare, uh, the pastor. And again, traditionally, um, seminaries were for pastors, those who were going to be actually teaching God's word and to be able to understand the Greek and the Hebrew, uh, I think was very helpful, especially when there weren't aids like interlinear Bibles or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, things like, you know, logos, logos, logos yeah, whatever you want to say. That, yeah. yeah. You know, those kinds of things that could kind of help speak into that. Um, and so I, 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 I could see that, um, for those who, and, and, and honestly, there was a time when the pastor was the most educated person, maybe even in the community. Hmm. And uh, the community did not have access to uh, those kinds of aids, uh, you know, to be taught and things like that. So I could see the, the importance of that. Um, and again, I'm grateful for my Hebrew and my Greek. However, uh, you know, again, uh, we, we are one of our big words at the experience is authentic. Uh, again, I dabble in it. I, right. I don't spend much time in it at, at all. Yeah. Okay. So if somebody did want to maybe just kind of dabble in it, as you say, what would be the best mm-hmm. place to start? You, you got me started on a software called Logos or Logos, tomato, tomato. Right. Um, and, and one of the things that I think is a really helpful tool is that you can see the passage in English and then you can also see it in Hebrew or you can see it in Greek and it kind of breaks apart, you know, okay, this is the construction in the English language and here's the construction in the Greek language. You can click on every Greek word and it can show you what that word means, uh, when it's been used, things like that. And sometimes mm-hmm. I find that helpful, but do you think like a, a software like that or a website like that or a Bible like that would be a good place to maybe start, start the dabbling. Yeah, I, I, I would. Um, again, one would, I believe need to start. I wouldn't spend a ton of money on that. I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I would start small and sure. see if that enhances, you know, some of the study of, of the scriptures. Uh, again, full transparency on my end, I, I think if I was going to expend much money, my first place to go would probably be a really good study Bible. Um, yeah. More than uh, something, if I was going to, you know, if I had fifty dollars to spend, I would probably lean more toward a good study Bible than I would something that would maybe teach me the yeah. Greek, you know, or the Hebrew. Well, and there's uh, also a, real, yeah, a, a free yeah. website called BibleHub.com, and mm-hmm. BibleHub.com has Greek. Hebrew Strong's Concordance built in and it's completely free. Right. So if you have a good study Bible and you've got a free website like biblehub.com, I mean, pretty much anything you would want to know, you've got it right in front of you. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. And, and again, the, you know, when you're learning the Greek, uh, you know, especially the Greek uh, it's, you know, there, there are some nuances to the language 
Um, there are some things that, uh, you know, verb tenses and things like that, that again can be helpful, but I, I really believe our English translations, especially those that, um, have that kind of, uh, word for word kind of event, you know, more of a, a uh, you know, formal kind of a translation. Mm-hmm. I think often they do a really, really good job of helping bring the, some of those moods and, and some yep. of those ideas into the English language so that we can, we can, along with our ability to understand the English can kind of get the flow of what's going on, even if we don't understand the Greek or the Hebrew. Yeah. So good responsible translation would be, we use the CSB at Experience Community mm-hmm. Church. Uh, we, I've used the ESV. That's what I read personally. Um, NIV, NASB. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're, you're hitting all the, all the hits. What would you know, be uh, apart from, so last episode we talked about Jehovah's witnesses and how they have, they have their own pseudo translation of the Bible. Um, right. So apart from their translation, the new world translation, would there be any Bible translations to maybe avoid? Uh, again, boy, that's a, you know, it's almost better to ask, you know, give me a specific translation. I could give you more of a specific answer. So, you know, when, when I'm teaching MIT, it's funny, we talk about the Bible and we talk specifically about this topic of, you know, when you're picking up a Bible, it's really good to look at the front matters of, of the, of the Bible to see what kind of translation philosophy they used hmm. so that, you know, cause there's more of the, you can have the more accurate word for word translations or you could have more of the thought for thought or even move into that area of paraphrasing, right? Right. So like um, the message would be a paraphrase. It wouldn't actually be yeah, a translation. Yeah. And, yeah, and like the New Living Translation, or at least, mm-hmm. the, you know, the Living Translation was, you know, the New Living Translation. I know a lot of people use it. And, find, and again, I'm not saying word uh, or a thought for thought aren't helpful. Right. Um, but uh, if we're trying to be as close to the original as we can, I think more of that uh word for word when it's able to. And again, the, um, this dynamic equivalency is kind of what the CSB uses that when it's word for word and it's clear in in English, they'll do a word for word from the Hebrew or Greek. But when, uh, it can't translate over to where it's really clear and readable in the English, then they will do more of a thought for thought. So they combine the best of both of those worlds to come up with their translation philosophy, which they have. So, uh, again, you know, I, I've read the NLT. I've read the message. You know, I've read some some paraphrases that are for devotional reading, especially are incredibly helpful. Sure. But when you're trying to do again, get us close to the Greek or the Hebrew, I think that word for word that uh, you know that 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 kind of translation gives you again more of a sense. And one of the other things too is a lot of those are committees that work together. They have translation committees. So you get people that are uh, cross-denominational, right? It's not just mm-hmm. Baptists. It's not just Presbyterians or Anglicans or whatever. It's people from all of those traditions coming together as they look at the Hebrew, uh, if, the, if it's an Old Testament committee. And then in the New Testament, you'd have, again, a wide range of people. And then a lot of times they'll also have English people, you know, that are, are really good with how to, you know, the, how it reads because you want it to be readable and understandable. Right, right, right. So, you know, I think these, you know, when you bring these kinds of committees together and it's a work of a group of people, I think that helps as well because right now we're checking each other. It's not just dependent upon Josh's ability or Mike's ability. Now we're all working on this together. We all bring a lot of skills and gifts and talents into it and we can rub off of each other some some really good uh, encouragement uh, some good correction if necessary so that we can work together to get the best translation from those original languages yeah that's a that's a great a great thing about a responsible translation one translation i would say probably don't read is the passion translation i don't know if you're as familiar with that one mike um I'm not. I would say don't read it. 
Um, it is not a very responsible translation at all. It is a bit like the New World translation, except for instead of being um, interpreted from the lens of the Jehovah's Witness doctrine, it's interpreted from the lens of the NAR movement, so um, hyper-charismatic. So uh, there is a lot of um, scriptures that are fast and loose. So I would just stay away from that one, but that's a whole other podcast episode of itself. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and again, um, you know, so like the CSB is sometimes called the, the Baptist Bible because it, it uh, came from Lifeway, uh, the Holman, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Bible publishers, which is under the arm of Lifeway, which is the publishing uh, company from uh, the Southern Baptist convention. But when you look at the translation committees, you see it's not Baptist only. Right, right, there's right. There's yeah. people from all kinds of traditions, all kinds of seminaries. Yeah, and that's super um, important. With yeah, so yeah. though it's – yes, it's published by the Baptist, but it's it's not a Baptist translation in that right. sense. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's a great questions, Danielle. Thank you so much for that. Hopefully uh, we answered that uh, adequately for you. So thank you for that email. Uh, second email that we're going to spend a lot of time on tonight is from our friend Alan. So Alan is a uh, faithful listener, and he listens he listens a lot because he drives a truck. So Alan has has binged several episodes before. I'll get a text from him every now and again about it. So thank you, Alan, for listening. And uh, this is what Alan said: "Hello, Josh and Gabe. Pray your week is going well. I love the podcast and enjoy the humor. I've been listening to the." Oh, wait a second. Let's stop. Mike, do you like that? Do you, do you like how people are complimenting that I'm funny and Gabe is funny? How does that make you feel? Uh, filled <laughs> with joy and mirth. <laughs> mirth. Wow. What a good word. Spe- hey, speaking I'm, I'm of AJV. I'm 100 years old, you remember? Yeah, that's or three true. years away from it. Yes. So there that's you a go. good old word. That's a great, great word. Mirth. Filled with mirth. <laughs> All right. Uh, Alan says, I've been listening to the podcast for about a year and I've gone back and listened to several of the early episodes. I haven't seen him discussing tithes and offerings and what the Bible says about it. I came across a very popular, quote, Christian, quote, influencer on X, formerly known as Twitter, that says, these are three statements this person says, apparently, tithes and offerings are no longer relevant. That's an Old Testament thing. Churches that ask for money are wrong. Pastors that ask for money are just lining their pockets. Well, there are several unnamed people. I can't call them pastors that are guilty of lining their pockets, mansions, and private airplanes with the $100 bills they bring in. Scripture absolutely calls us to give. After all, it is all God's money anyway. I'm not a keyboard warrior, and I'm not going to get into a battle with this guy or his 1 million plus followers, but it concerns me with this guy's teaching. Hoping you guys could use your platform and some scripture to bring some light to this subject for the followers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. So where do we where do we begin? <laughs> well, bef- before you start, I need to put another hundred dollar bill on my uh, candle. <laughs> uh, it's it's dying down. So I got to wipe the sweat off my brow with a hundred dollar bill. You know, exactly, exactly. Just uh, bathing in it, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> now back to back to how about yeah. that mirth? How about that mirth? <laughs> yes. Wow. So I mean, first of all. I mean, that's a person, whoever that person is that's going on Twitter and saying these things. Um, if I knew that person, like, it, personally, I think I would probably sit down with them and say, hey, what happened? Did you get hurt by a church? Did you get swindled? Did you have a bad experience? Like, and these are like some really broad brushstrokes that you're painting. And so I think that that would probably be my first question. Like, where is this coming from? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I thought maybe we could just look at these three claims from this Christian Twitter influencer. And okay. the first claim is this tithes and offerings are no longer, no longer relevant. That's an old Testament thing. So, um, it's true. We do first read about tithes in the old Testament. That comes from the old English root. That means a 10th. And in the old Testament, um, it was mainly agricultural income uh, that was given to the Lord as an expression of thanks and dedication. So it would have been in crops and livestock. 
Um, wasn't really, you didn't pay their cash or gold or goods or stocks or crypto or anything like that. And so, um, yeah, this person, I mean, technically he's right. It's an old Testament thing. It was a requirement of the law and the Israelites were required to give 10% of the crops they grew and the livestock they raised to the tabernacle or the temple. But it, it was actually, there were multiple tithes. There was a tithe for the Levites. There was one for the use of the temple and the feast. There was one to the poor in the land. And so actually the total of what the Old Testament law would have required from the people of Israel would have been around 23.3%. So does that, does that seem to cut the mustard, Mike? Am I, am I correct in that? Okay. Yeah. And and actually, so, uh, yeah, you and I, uh, we've used the same Bible reading plan for a while. I'm I'm actually doing the uh, chronological (laughs) Bible reading plan now. So I'm in Leviticus actually. So it's kind of interesting. I am too, but we're probably in different spots. So different spots, but, um, you know, before uh, the Levites became kind of that priestly line, the the people of Israel also tied their firstborn. Mm. You know, uh, yep. the you know the firstborn child belonged to the Lord. Um, now, obviously, you didn't slaughter that child or anything, right. but it it was it was you know. So you're there's a like you said a, a tithe of your produce, a tithe of your livestock a tithe of your family. I mean, it was a pretty comprehensive concept, right. I believe, right. uh, that was woven into the very essence of what it meant to be a follower of Yahweh, to, to, yeah. to follow follow him and be obedient to all he expected, which ultimately speaks to that all of everything belongs to the Lord. Mm-hmm. This is just our opportunity to show that we believe that as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and some scholars would say, as I was studying this, uh, that, you know, the government of Israel was a theocracy. And so how is the economy in a theocracy operate? Well, it operates, you know, the taxes that people paid, if you want to use that word, would have been the tithe, right? Mm-hmm. So that 23.3% roughly that was was owed, I mean, that's that's essentially how you know, in a theocracy, the taxes were paid through that. Right. So. Yeah. But even, sorry to interrupt, but even when you're, when you're harvesting your grain or your grapes, the gleanings, you know, you left there, you know, Mm -hmm. so you want to be greedy and grabbing that up because you were to leave that for the poor and you were to leave grapes that didn't come off. There, There was this, beautiful generosity mm-hmm. that was built in again to the very fiber of what it meant to be uh, a Jewish man and woman, a Jewish family is that we, we don't hoard things. We, we don't, you know, God has freely given us. So now we want to give freely back both to him and to others. Absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. I mean, it was generosity was an expectation. It was a, uh, just a part of what God wanted for his people from the very beginning. Um, mm-hmm. So the argument against New Testament tithing goes something like, well, after the death of Jesus, Christ fulfilled the law. So the New Testament doesn't command or, or even recommend that Christians submit to this legalistic tithe system that was um, you know, given in the law of Moses. And so, the New Testament doesn't say that we're supposed to designate a percentage of our income. It just says that our gifts should be in keeping with our income. That's 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Um, others have said, well, you know, the 10% figure from the Old Testament, that's that's kind of a good recommended minimum for Christians in their giving. Uh, but, man, there's a, there's a lot of Internet theologians that get pretty adamant and pretty passionate that it is unbiblical for a New Testament church to to teach tithing and to say that Christians should tithe. So yeah. That's kind of the that's kind of the the issue at hand. So Mike, what would you say to that? Yeah. Well, Joshua, um <laughs> that would mean that uh you know, in a lot of ways, then the experienced community church would be unbiblical, mm-hmm. right? Because we wouldn't be a biblical we church. We do not shy. 
Yeah, we don't <laughs> shy away from the idea of tithing uh, being uh, not only useful and a good you know foundation, but still believe that uh, it's an important part of uh, a Christian's life. And so I'm going to go off on a rant for just a minute and, you know, you can feel free to stop me at any moment. Um, So two, two things I want to say, first of all, I am incredibly grateful to Ray Ortland. I would encourage everybody to at least, you know, uh, Ortland, O R T L U N D uh, Google Ray Ortland, and then put in Jesus and tithing and, on the Gospel Coalition, he wrote an article, Jesus and Tithing, from based on Matthew twenty three, you know, twenty three, mm. where Jesus says, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law: justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others." So, one of the things that uh, Doctor Orland says is that. Um, the the Pharisees were great on following the easy part and and magnifying that because it was easy to tithe, but they minimized the hard part of being people who were in, you know involved in matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The it's very easy to go and give ten percent. It's very hard to treat people with justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And so they they minimize the hard stuff they maximize the easy thing and Hmm. ultimately what what ray gets to is that um yes tithe but that's that's christianity 101 that's the easy thing Hmm. now let's let that be the foundation then we build on that a life that reflects the beauty of the fact that god owns everything owns me and and so the tenth is to be given yes but there's so much more. And so I, I want to riff on that a little bit in that isn't it interesting that even on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus enhanced the Old Testament law. He didn't do away with the law. He enhanced it. So, hmm. you know, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, you know, for the Pharisees, that was easy. Right. You know, so they met, they maximized the easy thing. Oh, I've never committed murder. But then he said, oh, but if you hate your brother, you know, if you say Maraca, you know, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. then you've committed murder in your heart. So Jesus ended up, you know, where the Pharisees would minimize the heart condition. Jesus maximized it. Hmm. So the murder was the bare minimum. Now let's go to the matters of the heart. Same thing again with lust, right? Right, you know, right, right. Don't, don't commit adultery. Okay, well, Pharisees could walk around incredibly prideful. Oh, I've never committed. But did they lust after women? Oh, well, you know, the, no one could see that. But Jesus, right. he maximized the, the, the heart. So, so you could almost so, say like in the yeah. New Testament, you know, we could follow that, that thread to – the epistles to the book of Acts, where it was, hey, you've heard it said, give 10%. But we're saying, man, whoever sows abundantly or um, whoever sows generously will reap generously. Uh, God loves a cheerful giver. Um, Give and it'll be given to you. Like, it's almost as if you could not read the New Testament honestly and say that the people of God were stingy and probably didn't give at least 10%. Am I, am I reading that right? <laughs> uh, now, again, that's how I look at it is right. that Jesus never made it easier for us. Yeah. And, and it, when I say easier, I'm saying he never shrunk back from the commands or the call of God, but what Jesus did, he took it to a deeper level. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of Christianity 101 that is foundational, but Man, Jesus took it so much to a greater height. So, you know, it would be, again, it would be unusual for me, I think, to say, man, I love Jesus. I want to maximize his gifts to me and his mercy and grace has been expressed. And I'm going to give, you know, $50 and I make $50,000. But I'm going to give Jesus $50 because that's my expression of what Jesus has done for hmm. me and my appreciation. Yeah. I, you know, and again, I don't want to judge motives and, and I'm not trying to do that. Right. But I, 
again, I, I feel like in the New Testament, Jesus takes these things that had become so rote and, and, and so stodgy, as it were, and he breathed new life into it that sure. enhanced it, not minimized it. So do you think, I mean, we don't really know because it doesn't really say explicitly. The New Testament talks all about churches giving and giving generously and Book of Acts is filled with that. Mm-hmm. Did they tithe? Or did they just free will give? I mean, I guess that's the big question. And if they, you know, practice proportionate giving or free will giving or whatever it is, do you think it was more than 10%? Because it kind of seems that way when you read the book of Acts. Yeah. Well, and again, when you read even Second Corinthians, you know, chapters 8 and 9, man, I... Gosh, Josh, I, I, I cannot imagine <clears throat> as Paul writing his letters being read to the church at Corinth that these guys are looking at each other going, man, after reading, of course, they didn't have chapters eight and nine, you know, right, right. like that. But <laughs> boy, after reading this part of Paul's letter, I'm so great. Hey, honey, we can cut back to 5%. Right. I, I, I can't. I can't. That just rings when you read chapters eight and nine and these motivations for giving and, you know, again, like you were saying, you know, verse 10, now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And we're not talking about prosperity giving, you know, we're not talking about the gospel, that prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. But what I again see is this, this overarching, and we talked about this in the old Testament, this principle of generosity sure. that was woven into the very fabric of the Jewish people. I see that, again, only enhanced because now we have the model of God taking on human flesh and, you know, God demonstrates his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son to die. It's it's this beautiful picture that God did not withhold the very best that he had for us. Why would we ever, you know... And again, I don't want to judge hearts, but stingily right. say, you know, no, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, whatever I can get by with, yeah. that's what I'm going to give to God. So uh, I, know, I just, yeah, I, I have a hard it. time with that with, with, with that too. I think, you know, if someone asks the question, okay, so I'm a Christian, I'm not tithing, am I in sin? I, I think, I think that would, that's a longer conversation I would want to have with someone to ask, okay, why, why are you not giving? Well, I, I can't afford it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is it because you really can't afford it or is it because you're, you would rather give some of your discretionary income on yourself to yourself? Right. Um, mm-hmm. If it is, you're really living paycheck to paycheck and man, you don't have any room at all to give. I, I think you probably do. It's just, you probably need some help from somebody to help you sit down and let's figure out like what's going on in your finances and stuff. And, I mean, I have a lot of compassion for for that because I feel like I do that with a lot of people. But, you know, is a Christian sinning if they don't tithe? I think the answer to that is is not necessarily, but they very well could be because it's it's motive, right? Sure. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Josh, I, I tell people this all the time. I am an awful Holy Spirit. Okay. Yeah, yeah me too. So, uh, I, I, uh, I'm not going to play anyone's Holy Spirit, but again, you know, the scriptures are clear about us examining ourselves, examining right. our motives, um, taking a look at, you know, being a, again, and, and the, the principle obviously, right. Is stewardship, right. Managing, exactly. you know, that everything belongs to God. So whether it's my house, my car, my kids, my, my, my marriage or my money, I am to steward that well to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, you do all things to the glory of God. So yeah. the the issue then when someone says, well, maybe, hey, I can't give right now. Okay. Uh, or I can't give a tenth or whatever. Or we're working toward that. Man, listen, I, I think there's, you know, God's a, a merciful, grace-filled God. So I'm not saying, you know, God's up there, you know, going to hammer you because you're not <laughs> giving. But I will say that, and I think what you're saying is, look, is there a way that I can lean on the wisdom of people within our, you know, my community, the the church community who maybe are better at 
stewarding finances, you know, or uh, better at uh, helping to help me see areas that I can minimize that are wasteful kinds of spending so I can maximize what I might be able to give to God. Mm -hmm. Again, not to get back from God, but as an expression of my gratitude towards him. Absolutely. And um, yeah. And so I, I think, you know, again, and listen, you know, I, I've lost my job before, you know, uh, those who know my story, you know, there was a time I, I, I lost my job and went literally for, to nothing. And, you know, I drove for Lyft and, and, you know, and, and we lost healthcare coverage and all kinds of stuff. I've had, you know, you know, to, to my shame, you know, a tough time that I placed my family in because, uh, of, you know, terrible decisions, you know, that I made, but, um, you know, God was faithful in that. And, you know, again, I was not able during some of that time to give a full 10th, but we never stopped giving. And, and then, you know, and again, this is not bragging or anything, but, you know, my wife and I are glad to give more than a 10th now. Well, and and I was going to say, I was going to say too, there could be a time where, and again, uh, we're not the Holy Spirit, so we don't know. But, you know, just an idea to throw it out there. It, you could become a Pharisee with just giving a tenth if you're able to give more and you're choosing not to because you go, oh, I'm just checking the box. Right? Right. And that's, that's what Matthew 23, 23 says. Exactly. You're, you're tithing your mint, dill, your cumin. You've got your tenth you're given. You're going, all right, so I'm giving a tenth. And then I'm, you know, 20% of what I make is spent on my stuff. And me mm-hmm. and, and just whatever I want to do. And I would just say like, um, you know, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. There's a reason Jesus talked a lot about money because money is a very, yeah, the Bible does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't get around it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. Let's go to the second claim of this, this Twitter yeah. philosopher. Well, and can, before we do that, let me just say this yeah. last thing. Um, if there are listeners out there, um, you know, listen, Josh and I are not, again, trying to be your Holy Spirit. We're not, there's, there is no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, you know, don't, don't allow biblical principles that we are at least trying to speak about. Don't allow that to be a hammer that beats you over the head, but awesome. allow it maybe to be, uh, a beautiful work of God in your life that awakens you to some things that might increase your joy in the Lord. Amen. Well said. Well said. See, that's that pastoral wisdom coming in. Look at you. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> All right. Second claim of the, uh, the, the Twitter logian. That's a Twitter theologian. In case you're wondering, I just made that that's, word up. Yeah. That's yeah. nice. Thanks man. Uh, churches that ask for money are wrong. Um, I'll be honest, Mike, when I, <laughs> I read that, I kind of just had to sit back in my chair and scratch my, scratch my head. <laughs> so I was like, Oh, okay. Um, so I don't know where this idea comes from. Maybe it comes from like George Mueller, uh, the missionary. I don't know if you're mm. familiar with him. Mm-hmm. He, I am. he, uh, basically, pioneered the no ask method of ministry. So basically telling only God about your needs, trusting God to provide for any financial needs and kind of the rationale in, in these types of ministries. If, if Christian leaders and ministries really trusted God, they wouldn't lower themselves to ask for money because asking for money is greedy. It's unspiritual. And uh, you know, in these circles, stories just kind of seem to abound of miraculous last minute funds arriving when, when everything seems lost. And, and listen, I'm not discounting that. I, I love George Mueller. His biography is incredible. And if you've, mm-hmm. you've heard me preach, I've shared stories about George Mueller and his, his uh, ministry to orphans. But I just want to, um, I just wanted to share a couple of scriptures that it's wrong for the church to ask for money. Uh, I think you have to. Okay. Wait, wait, did, wait, did Jesus say you're going to share scriptures? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's probably wow. a, a good defense against this claim, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I know mean, that's the sarcasm in me, but you know, for 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 someone to rant on Twitter without any scriptural support, because there you're about to prove there is no scriptural support for what no. he is, you know, blasting the church about. So right. go for it. <laughs> 
Okay, well, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 4 and 12, Paul says, do we not have a right to eat and drink? And essentially, in the context of that passage, he's talking about, you know, at the expense of the church, that that's a right that he has. And he says, nevertheless, we didn't use this right, but we endure all things, so we cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Uh, mm-hmm. Elsewhere, we'll get into this here in a minute, First Timothy 5, uh, Paul essentially says to Timothy, hey, if there's an elder who's, who's directing the affairs of the church well, um, especially in the work of preaching and teaching, make, make sure they're paid, right? So so he kind of makes that case, and we'll unpack that here in a minute. But um, Exodus 35, Moses asks the Israelites to give for the desert tabernacle. So there's kind of like this campaign, right? Pledges, hey, come bring your gold, bring your stuff, right? Uh, Nehemiah asked King Artaxerxes for timber to build Jerusalem's walls. That's in Nehemiah 2. Elijah asked a Gentile widow for support. That's 1 Kings 17. Uh, Paul straight up asked the Romans for money in Romans 15, verses 20 through 24. I mean, you can't read that and say, oh, what's he doing? Well, he's fundraising, right? Now, greedy Paul, I guess he's wrong. Um <laughs> And then Jesus, I guess Jesus is, is Jesus is the offender of all offenders. He mm. instructs the 12 and the 70 he sends out to seek worthy host for lodging on two separate occasions, Matthew 10 and Luke 10. So I guess Jesus yeah. was wrong for telling his disciples to ask. So, I mean, do we even have to answer? I mean, gosh, this is, <laughs> this is so silly. I mean, what do you even say to that? Yeah. It's wrong for a church to well, ask for money. Okay, and so Second Corinthians chapter eleven, you know, so Paul and the Corinthians had an incredibly interesting relationship, right? Yes, they did. Know, so it, it's it's pretty amazing, but it's interesting in chapter eleven, verse seven of Second Corinthians, he he says, "Or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted, because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge?" So this Twitter, whatever you call them. Twitter logan whatever yes. however you say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he he might say, see, there it is. Paul pre he preached the gospel free of charge. But then if you read verse eight, he's Paul says, I rubbed uh, robbed other churches by taking pay from them to mm, minister to you. There it is. Mm. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you know, oh well, Paul never took money from the Corinthians. Yeah, but he sure took money from other churches and so he could teach the Corinthians. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's just yeah, it's it's not good. That's yeah. that's a terrible take on the the that ugh. it's okay, a very biblically ahead, illiterate take on the whole issue, which is one of the well reasons said. why if I got to sit down with this guy for a cup of coffee, I would go, Bro, what happened? Like, did you get mm-hmm. burnt by a church? Did you go to a church where every Sunday they pass the plate and then they count it up and say, that's not enough. We're going to pass it again. Like, did you have an experience where it was excessive and inappropriate in the way that the money was handled and then the way that money was raised and, and the way it was asked for? Cause I mean, we've got to be honest. There are some ministers, there's some pastors and there's some churches where it does become excessive and inappropriate when it comes to fundraising. True. Mm-hmm. True. hundred percent. Where is that but line? Can I, yeah, let me. Can I just say? Here's another little, you know, rant. People misuse the pulpit all the time mm-hmm. across America and the world. Not once do we say we need to stop preaching. Mm. Yeah. But you know, if if someone misuses a spiritual gift, oh, we can't speak in tongues. You know, people go crazy. But you know, again, there is more bad theology taught in pulpits. But we never once, you know, you never hear a preacher say, well, no, we got to no, no more preaching at this church. No, right, right. no. <laughs> and, and yet if there's this little hint of impropriety somewhere else, oh, out with it. It just tears apart the church. And again, that that's, you know, per, the proverbial baby with the bathwater. Sure, right? It's sure. And so, you know, if we were to stop doing things in the church that have been misused by others, we would no longer even meet at church. Right. That's true. Yeah. So, you know, if someone would ask the question, Hey, when is it excessive 
when is it inappropriate for a pastor or church when it comes to raising and asking money uh, or asking for, for money? I, I don't know exactly where that line is, but I do think if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, God gives you this remarkable gift called um, wisdom. And he also gives you this gift called the discerning of spirits where you're able to kind of get it in your gut through the, the Holy Spirit that there's something off about this. Um, so I can't say, hey, this is this is the line, right? And the church I'm in, they're asking for you know, this money to do a, a expansion for their Sunday school wing. Gosh, man, I just feel like that's just, that's inappropriate. That's excessive. Or, you know, the, the pastor... Uh, man, they're, they're driving a car and that car is newer than mine. So man, he's probably just getting paid too much. I think he's, it's excessive and inappropriate. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know if like there, there is that line, but I, I feel like if, if there's that like gut check you've got from the Holy spirit, and then you've got questions about how the church is being spent and nobody can answer those, then that might be cause for concern. I mean, do you think that's fair? I think it's fair. Um, man, you know, again, and I love what you said. Again, we're not the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. um, but we have the Holy Spirit. Like you said, it gives us wisdom and discernment. I, 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 man, I can't really add much to what you just said. That's, And if you have questions, go ask. Right. But, you know, again, make sure that you're being careful when you go into areas that, are kind of outside of the, you know, as long as it's biblical, can we have different preferences, right? You know, my preference would be not to build a Sunday school building. Okay, great. You know, our preference is, okay, you know, can we agree to disagree under the bond of Jesus Christ? Sure. But so it would be, you know, now if that request is for illegal, unscriptural, you know, immoral, unethical kinds of things. Okay. That's a whole different, you know, context. You know, again, if I need money to fuel my jet, yeah. Right. right. Okay. <laughs> and I'm asking the church to do that. I, that That's a problem. Right, right. But if I'm trying to work to, you know, increase the kingdom of God and I'm not lining my pockets with the money, I'm, I'm going to take this money. I'm going to show you how I'm going to spend every dime of it to enhance our ability to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and reach people and, and take care of the poor and, and, and do the work of the gospel, you know, yeah. Can we have different preferences, but you know, and it may even, we may even separate over it, but don't call it unscriptural or, you know, that you're a moron for asking for money because if that's the case, Paul was the most immoral unethical, unscriptural man in the Bible. Sure. Because that guy asks for money all the time. Well, and at the end of the day, you brought it up earlier, Mike. This thing called stewardship is we are responsible for stewarding the resources that God has given us. So if you're a believer and you want to be generous and you look and there's a ministry you've been supporting or there's a church you've been attending and you've got this gut check in your spirit that just says, I don't know if I should be giving to this cause because I've got some questions about how the money's being spent. It seems excessive and inappropriate. I mean, for heaven's sake, pay attention to the leading of the Holy Spirit and steward that money wisely by saying, I just don't know if I'm going to give to this ministry anymore. I think I'm going to go and give this to another ministry that I can verify is actually using this for kingdom work. Right? Um, right. And and again, sometimes our giving may be, you know, seasonal in the sense sure. of for this season, I feel like my money needs to go here. Mm-hmm. But once I fulfill that obligation and God gives me a different season, I may direct that money somewhere else. Right. Um, back to that discernment you were speaking of, mm-hmm. you know, that if I feel the spirit leading me, hey, this chapter is closing on this direction I've been giving my money to or this ministry or this project or whatever. And now I want to give it to someone else or something else. Mm -hmm. You know, again, praise God. Right. 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 Okay. So the third claim of this, uh, Twitter login, uh, (laughs) pastors (laughs) that ask for money are just lining 
their pockets. Pastors that ask for money are just lining their pockets. Okay. Um, are there pastors who live in excess? Are there pastors who line their pockets? Are there pastors who fleece and mislead people? Without a doubt, 100%, absolutely. You can turn on TBN and see 100%. That's all I have to say about that. However, depending on what source you use, and I've used the U.S. Bureau of, Bureau of Labor Statistics to look this up yesterday, so I don't think it's probably changed much since yesterday. Uh, the average pastor salary in the United States in 2024 is a whopping 54000 a year. Now, that ranges anywhere between 30000 to 64000 a year. That's the average. Of course, you've got anomalies. You've got exceptionalities. You've got, you know, the guys you see on TBN that are bragging about being millionaires and billionaires. But mm-hmm. most average pastors in the U.S. make about 54 k a year, which if that seems like a lot, it's not a lot. The average salary nationwide in the U.S. is about 59428 so the numbers would say that pastors nationwide make about $5,428 less than the national average salary. Mm-hmm. So someone that says pastors ask for money, they're just lining their pockets. They're getting rich off people. Actually, pastors are, are, are like poorer <laughs> than, than, than most everybody else. I mean, that's just, that's numbers, right? These aren't Christian numbers. This is the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, right? You don't go into ministry to get rich. Are there people who do get rich? Yes. There are, and and that's not how it should be. But most of the people who are serving in local churches across our nation are not. That's just a fact. (laughs) Yeah, and I think a good way to say that, Josh, is there may be a pastor who is lining his pocket. Sure, yep. But pastors in America and around the world are not. Yes, yeah, 100%. I, I used to teach um, pastors' conferences in Uganda. And mm-hmm. um, Uganda is an interesting place because you had guys that were on radio and TV who had been discipled by Benny Hen, who were fabulously wealthy and who flaunted that wealth and who, you know, taught the prosperity gospel hook, line, and sinker. But then I would teach a pastors' conference to 300 pastors and some of these guys literally driving eight hours on a motorcycle to come to a pastor's conference and sleeping on the floor and they don't even have enough money to eat and they have to ask for money to get a ride back to their village nine hours away. Mm. And, and, and so they're, but man, they're not complaining. It's a joy for them to minister and serve the body of Christ in the context that God's placed them. So, I mean, you could look at African pastors and you could see the guy on TV and say, oh, man, they're all just asking for money. But you're not seeing the 300 of these guys who are literally, I mean, just scraping to get by. But they're doing it because they love the Lord and they love his people. Again, a pastor is getting rich. Right. Pastors are not. Yes. So I mentioned First Corinthians, or First Timothy 5 earlier. But here's what Paul says about uh, pastors uh, being supported by the work that they do. Paul says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. The worker deserves his wages. So he talks about the elders who direct the affairs of the church well, who are laboring and preaching and teaching. It seems who Paul is describing would be a lead pastor in a congregation. Um, and it certainly seems that Paul is saying that person should be compensated if that's what their job is. Agreed. Agreed. 100%. Okay. So is it wrong for pastor to ask for money? And when does it become excessive and inappropriate for pastor to ask for money? A, it is not wrong. <laughs> okay. B, uh, you know, again, at the risk of, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's situational. Okay. 
you know, because again, uh, I, you know, it's easy to say it, there is a point where it is unbiblical and unethical for a pastor to ask for money. No, hundred percent, no doubt. Right. Um, but I can't, I'm not going to generalize it in such a way that, you know, where did that, where's that line? You know, again, that, you know, thing, I'll, I'll know it when I see it. Right. <laughs> yeah. right, 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 right. You, yeah. You come to me with a very specific situation. Here's what, you know, this pastor is doing. I'll be able to, based on that situation, biblically, probably with the wisdom and discernment say, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that's biblical. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Is that copping out? No, I mean, I agree. I don't, I don't think that there is like a, I don't, I don't think that there, I mean, we can't like, you know, get Gene Steratore on the, on the <laughs> calling from New York, you know, <laughs> oh, there's the penalty right there. He's offsides. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's more, um, like you said, you get that sense that the biblical qualifications for, an elder for, for a pastor, that person is living in such a way that at least would call their integrity into question by an obsession with money or by a desire to get rich. And, mm-hmm. and you have a, a gut check in your spirit to just say, I just, something is not right about this. Um, and then you've got questions yeah. and your questions aren't getting answered. They're just getting swept under the rug. I think that might be time for you to say, it's probably wise for me to steward God's money elsewhere by giving it to another church or ministry. Yeah. I, again, I, so I would say that I think there is a prideful flaunting kind of arrogance that some pastors exhibit mm-hmm. And it's not just in the area of giving, uh, you know, or asking for money. It, you see it in all the areas of their lives, you know, and there it becomes a question of character, it, you yeah. know, and money, as again, Paul talks about, you know, the love of money is the root of all it. There is a character defect mm-hmm. that, that causes that. So it's not just the money. The money is just a symptom of an overall character that does not follow humbly the, the, the savior that they say they love and, and want to proclaim. And, and then out of that comes this unethical asking this, um, this, this kind of, uh, unbiblical, uh, use of money as a sign of, you know, blessing and, right. and those kinds of things. And, and, you know, again, you get into the prosperity gospel, you, mm-hmm. you do get into, those excesses that we all know about that cause people to even ask us these questions or cause these people to get on the, you know, Twitter or whatever and rant against these pastors who all they live for is the money. You know, listen, there's a lot of things I live for, but you know, if you come to my house, you're going to find out money ain't one of them. (laughs) Um, you know, and and again, that's, I I have, but I have everything I need, you know, and, uh, you know, and I, I praise God for that, you know, and, but, you know, I, it's, you know, my thing is, and, and, you know, again, for me is if I am obedient to the things of God, I trust that he's going to take care of my needs. Amen. Amen. So, you know, and, and, you know, you even get into that and, you know, Matthew six, right. You know, don't be anxious about, you know, what do we usually worry about? you know, clothing and our health and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Jesus, I think kind of makes a deal with us, you know, Hey, look, if you seek first my kingdom, I'll take care of those other things that you would normally worry about. Yeah. Right. But if you want, if you want that responsibility of worrying about that stuff, listen, I'll give it to you, but your life is going to be miserable. You know, you're not going to have a, a peaceful night of sleep. You're going to have ulcers. You're going to be anxious. You're you're always going to be worried. But I love you so much that if you will let me take care of your needs so that I can free you up now to live a life that truly honors God in everything, then I'll do that for you so you can be at peace. And again, that doesn't mean you might not have lose you, you know you still may lose a job you still may get sure, cancer sure. You, you still may only have you know a dollar left before the next paycheck i i understand all that but again we've got to believe you know god's people 
who live for God and give him the glory. Again, based on Matthew six, God's going to take care of us. Amen. Amen. And, and so, you know, I don't, I don't have to ask God to line my pockets. Mm-hmm. And, and, and one last thing, again, we throw our treasure over there, right? Right. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not living for this world, you know. Again, you know, if this is my best life now, I want a refund. Right? <laughs> um, uh, my best life is yet to come. Amen. Yeah. Uh, in this world, you're going to suffer. You're going to have hard times. You're going to struggle. But if the Son of God learned obedience through suffering, how much more do I need to suffer some to learn obedience? But that obedience well is a means of righteousness and and sanctification. That then allows me to look at money in a proper perspective, allows me to look at stuff in a proper perspective. So I think it all ties in together. Absolutely. Amen. That's in the rant. No, that's a good rant. Uh, Yeah. I mean, so, so landing the plane as, as we finish, I think like Mike mentioned earlier, unfortunately there are some people who are having these questions or having these concerns or having these hangups like our, our friend on Twitter is having because there have been pastors and ministry leaders who have been greedy and haven't been ethical and how they've handled money. And that's a shameful thing. So I would say if you're a pastor, if you're a missionary, if you're a ministry leader, if you're on a board for a church, you need to make sure you're doing everything that you can to steward God's money in a way that's wise in a way that's God honoring um, that that you're you're doing so with accountability, you're doing so with transparency. Um, you're, you're giving the people who <laughs> support your ministry no reason to call into question the integrity of that ministry by things yeah, really that you're good. you're doing or not doing in that. So I think like the the onus is on us as pastors and um, ministry leaders, like man. Since we do have to rely on donations from people, then, man, we've got to live like at a higher standard in terms of how we steward that money and we give people the kind of financial uh, transparency and accountability. So that's kind of what I'll say as we as we land the plane tonight. So, yeah, no. Well said, Josh. Thanks, Mike. Man, I like having you on because you give me compliments. You, you say I'm full of mirth and you say I'm well said. <laughs> wow. Uh, have you call in just to compliment us this is good there are times you're easy to compliment (laughs) i don't i'm not smart enough to know whether that's a that's an insult or a compliment so we'll just pretend it's a compliment so it is a compliment absolutely thanks man well mike this has been fun man thank you for uh for being on yeah well again gabe miss you i look forward to having you back but uh Yeah. yeah man guys thanks for letting me sit in as a uh, cheap substitute for the re- the real thing. Oh, stop. You're not a cheap <laughs> substitute. Man. Uh, well, uh, thank you guys for listening. If you have any thoughts or questions or follow-up questions, anything like that, send us an email, beersandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, pray for Gabe, pray for his church, all the stuff with the facilities and stuff like that. Just pray that gets uh, resolved quickly. And uh, we look forward to hearing from him soon about that. So, Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe, share, and as always, send us a question. If you've got one, to the email, beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.